TikTok. It's this game where o'clock with me, Chris, and me, Ashley. Hello, everybody. What a dead giveaway, Chris. Why? TikTok. It's blah 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 clock. Yeah. Mm. Right. Let's be honest with these intros. Whenever we do them, whenever you do them, are, I don't ever do uh, them. No, just the, the preamble bit. Whenever we do them, at least one of us knows what the game is. And the audience that the people listening knows what the game is because it's in the description on the title and the image, which you spend so long slaving over. So this one, everyone knows we're doing Clock Tower because it's in the description, etc. You and I both know we're doing Clock Tower because it's our episode 70 spectacular. We know that in multiples of 10, we always do a game that we've not done before. So we both decide to do Clock Tower. So I don't see what the problem is. Yeah, I suppose. I did write uh, this game where for this. All right. Do you want to do that anyway, just in case people yeah. don't know anything about Clock Tower? Do you want me to do it now, or should I ask you if you're all right and that? Because I usually ask no. you. It's polite, isn't it? All right. You all right? Yep. You? Yep. Right. Right. This it week, then. it's this game where I shit myself, probably. <laughs> uh, that's the... That's that's what you're getting. And you've already Correct. told people what it is. And they already know what it is, as you as you said. The whole the whole thing's a complete pretense, isn't it? It's a nonsense. I don't even know why we do it, except for the fact that it gives our podcast a name. Is this <laughs> game the where the very foundation our podcast is built on yeah. is a nonsense? Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. I've only taken seventy episodes to admit it. It's like therapy, mm. isn't it? To be oh, fair, often. though. Yeah. The whole world is a nonsense, so if a podcast can't be... Christ, we've, we've gone deep. Let's go back to you pooing yourself. Why do you think you're going to poo yourself Well, because this, this, is a, this is a survival horror game, and I don't I don't fare very well with them, do I? I nearly did it when we played Resident Evil. So why are we doing Clock Tower then? It came out of Resident Evil, actually. We were talking... I, I'm talking to you, listeners, rather than Chris, because he knows. Again, pretense. It's all faked. He's asked me the question. He knows the answer. We were talking... I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I don't know the answer. It's been a few weeks we, since we did Resident Evil. I can't remember. He does know the answer because we were literally we were literally talking about it about 30 seconds before we pressed record. So he knows. He knows. So we we were doing Resident Evil. We, talk, we were talking Ooh, about boy. survival horror games and how the genre was sort of uh, born and how it got started. And a couple of games came up. One of the, one of them was Clock Tower, which we're going to be talking about looking at playing today. And the other one was Alone in the Dark, which we did on Manar about. Uh, Alone in the Dark predates this game by three years. We were, You do remember that we were talking about this about five minutes ago before we started recording, don't you? Not really, no. Bleeding hell. Alone in the Dark came out in 1992. And this game, Clock Tower, came out in September 1995 in Japan only, uh, interestingly. Ooh. Yeah. Both of them are credited as sort of kickstarting the survival horror genre, depending on who you talk to and how you consider uh, what you consider as the beginning, because uh, sort of the beginning of this genre kind of took place over, it seems, several decades. But this was really what kicked it into the mainstream, this sort of string of games that started with Alone in the Dark and continued with Clock Tower and Clock Tower 2 on the PlayStation. Clock Tower, therefore, being the big daddy of the survival horror genre. Yeah, Clock Tower is one of the big daddies. Alone in the Dark is another, of, or the Godfathers, uh, or however you want to term it, whichever stupid analogy daddy. you want to use. Uh, right. You know, mother and father, we could maybe say that, or big brother, I don't know. It it really took off around this time, so nine, early 90s, early to mid 90s, and then shortly after Clock Tower on the Super Famicom, which is what its name is in Japan, or Super Nintendo for us here, we got things like Resident Evil and Silent Hill. All that nonsense, all that scary all shit. That. Right. Okay. So that's why we that's why we're talking about Clock Tower today because we thought we should do we should we thought we should one do something on the Super Nintendo as opposed to the PC which we've touched a few times and two because it's a big a big issue. It's a big deal. Yeah. I have got a few bits to tell you okay. about the game. It was developed by Human Entertainment who are a Japanese studio helmed by Hifumi Komo Komover Hifumi Kono. They have the games that they made as human entertainment, this is the only one that I... Well, the only one that I sort of saw. They made quite a lot. But the only one that I saw looking briefly over their output 
that I was aware of. They probably did make other things because I got a bit distracted by what came after Human Entertainment. Okay. The studio Human Entertainment wrapped up and Hifumi, they they made this Clock Tower. They made then Clock Tower 2 and I think Clock Tower 3? No, maybe just Clock Tower 2. But then... After that, they I think they made a few other games, then they wrapped up and the bulk of them went and created a new studio. And the new studio was called Nude Maker Company. Nude Maker? Nude Maker Company, yes, or Nude Maker Co. Right. Do you, are you aware of Nude Maker? No. Okay. I, I, I'm kind of pleased I don't, to be honest, just from that title. Yeah, I can imagine what's being conjured up for you. You are imagining certain things I, I can imagine. Some sort of erotic gaming, right. I'd imagine. Okay, I'm going to knock your socks off then, because okay, the first game... You. Huh, hold your horses. Mm-hmm. Reserve judgment for a moment. The first game that they developed was for Capcom, and that game was Steel Battalion, which I know you know about, but you probably don't remember that you know. Hell no. What's Steel Battalion? Steel Battalion is a mech game, but this is a famous or infamous mech game because... Is it... that the one with the save? No. What are you talking about? What's that? That's the Konami game. No, you know what? Carry on. No, tell me. The only mech game I'm aware of, to my knowledge, is the one where the save gets deleted if you die. That I have oh. definitely mentioned on the podcast before. Yeah. I, I think that's a Konami game. I vaguely remember you actually talking to me about that, and I can't remember what the, the name of the game is. It could by it could very well be this, but that's not its USP. And I again, I know that you know Steel Battalion's USP because we've talked about it in the past. Steel Battalion was the game that required, wasn't optional, required a $200 bespoke control unit. Good grief. And the control unit was the cockpit of the mech that you controlled. Uh... Do you remember yes. that? So it's yeah, a really elaborate about. cockpit with lots of switches and dials and levers and yokes and things like that. Essentially a $200 peripheral for use with one game only. Well, no, because there was a sequel called Steel Battalion 2. All right, two games. Two the games per exactly. game. Wow. I do wonder if it's like, you know, like people on the GameCube would play random games with the bongos from Donkey Konga. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can do that with Steel Battalion on the Xbox. <laughs> Maybe. So, you, you know, you can play Fable, but you have to pull this lever to make them swing their sword and push that button to... I wonder what Guitar Hero would be like with that peripheral. I mean, confusing, I would yeah. guess. <laughs> I think that is generally the, the rule for using that controller. How is game A using the Steel Battalion controller? Answer, confusing. How about game B? Same answer. Great. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that they are well known for. All right. New Maker Entertainment made Steel Battalion, Steel Battalion 2. What else was their output? So your first instinct wasn't incorrect. Mm. I wanted to hit the, you with something slightly surprising. Their first game was Steel Battalion. Else. Their second game was for a company called Elf Corporation, the ALF Corporation. And they specialised in... I might get this the pronunciation of this wrong because it, it's a Japanese genre called Eroge. E-R-O-G-E. No idea. Which is basically erotic gaming so you weren't you were right you were correct is uh, it what the is it what the e in elf stands for erotic it could well be i didn't check i did go down a rabbit hole with this and found out some interesting things of course i did you should always take your opportunities when they're presented i would say even if they lead you to the some more than interesting places mm. the first erotic game that nude maker made for elf was called Shin Mikigora Shoujo Tantidan. It's touted on Giant Bomb. It's described as an adventure game, like an, a, an adventure novel game. And I can't find any details really about it that suggest that it's that adult or at all adult. It just sort of looks like a visual novel. Right. That changes slightly after their fourth game, which is called AV King, and that stands for Adult Video King. Right. The storyline of that is there's a couple who owe a lot of money to the Yakuza, and in order to pay off their debt, they decide that they're going to make very graphic adult pornography relatable uh, not that there's any other version of pornography adult pornography is also known as pornography oh, so dear. this is from the brain of the guy who created clock tower yes it is yeah i have got this is completely optional and i am forewarning you i do have the thing that i found first was a gallery which i've just sent to you of stills from av king so you can have a look at what you'd be in for if you were going to play that that is a snapshot or several snapshots in fact from um, the game I'm I'm just clicking it now. I'm very... You are clicking it. Very brave. Good guy. Oh, gosh. Well, that's... Yes. 
explicit <laughs> very explicit so we go, we go from clock tower which is um a, a survival horror through war through mechanized war futuristic war very quickly to pornography like very graphic pornography essentially this output is being aimed at teenage boys uh, well no i don't think i don't know really i think it's young young men actually in japan because remember that clock tower didn't come out in uh, in the anywhere else but japan yeah um, I guess so, so if you think about but then steel battalion that was actually an xbox game so that would have been more popular in the yeah in uh, outside of japan because the xbox didn't sell very well uh, this though for me this is very much sort of the fair of young japanese men going home and not really seeing anybody playing games and so on they maybe would enjoy a few of the nude maker games i don't know which ones Right. So yeah, uh, explicit. You'll notice as well that that was page 11 of the gallery because I really did have to do my research as well as possible. (laughs) You had to go through 10 pages prior to that. Exactly. Yeah. The last thing uh, down this rabbit hole that I found that I thought was an interesting little tidbit. So we're talking, obviously we're talking about survival horror and Clock Tower is the first survival horror game, but actually the first game developed with sexually explicit content. Do you know who made that or what it was? What this or when it was made? So just to clarify. Or do you want to take any guesses? So just to clarify, is the question that was this the first explicit adult game, or is there one that came out prior to this? So this is just another aside that I found as I was going down this rabbit hole. What was the first sexually explicit game? When was it made, and who made it? More interestingly, wasn't there a, a game for like the BBC Micro or something where you played a guy that was doing a, a bad thing? A jizz out of a window. Yeah. Yes, there was. But you, I know where you've got that from. There was a. I think that was. On games wipe charlie brooke's games wipe and there was there was actually a lot of sexually explicit games for the bbc micro and the atari and so on and they were all homebrew or a lot of them were homebrew type that you could buy off the back of a magazine yeah i don't think anyone's really going to get their jollies out of that at least not the people and definitely not the people on the street below no exactly officially was that a pigeon nope oh dear uh, officially, the first sexually explicit game to be released was a game called Nightlife. It released in 1982. Wow. And it was made by Koei, who are now Koei Tecmo. Who are they? Who made Hyrule Warriors. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who made Dynasty Warriors, which is the, what they're more famous for. But obviously, Hyrule Warriors spun off from that. Wow. Um, and, and most recently, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. So Koei, who are one half of Koei Tecmo, first sexual explicit game was them was made by them it was called nightlife what a claim to fame exactly it was marketed though as an aid for the sex life of couples which is interesting in of itself mm-hmm. and it included features such as a schedule to determine a woman's period right and a, a catalogue of possible sexual positions that people could use together I, I i don't want to say to any of that information no i, I just thought it was interesting especially given the the most interesting part Cowie. it was Cowie. Yeah. there you <laughs> go it had to be someone didn't it had to be someone <laughs> Cowie, incidentally was uh created by a husband and wife team so it wasn't just some randy bloke that was trying to get his rocks off yeah, it, it was an actual it, it, it sounds, was a husband and wife it sounds like the way he described it like people genuinely wanting to do something useful rather than being something titillating yeah because you could imagine i think well this is a thing at the same time you might you you can imagine a situation whereby they can see the money that might come from that and therefore in order to get it past people Mm. the the prude society the prude part of society or whatever then maybe they dress it up in a certain way so a lot of erotic games that i've seen not played oh yeah here we go no ge- genuinely uh, have been like you know like puzzle bubble oh where you reveal or block breakers <laughs> like the chipsticks down the pub where you, you take off, off- uh, yeah a lot yeah. like that yeah for anyone that lives in the uk will will understand that but chris is on about when you go to the pub in the uk they used to have these bags of crisps that came on a cardboard back and every time you took a bag of crisps off, it would reveal a piece of a picture. And once all of the bags of crisps were gone, there would be a naked lady on the cardboard thing. Just, and just it hanging, was supposed just to up, get down, men down to buy club. crisps more. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's our society. Um, <laughs> you know, we've all got our foibles. Broken Britain. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is genuinely interesting, isn't it? I, 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 I thought it was anyway. To get back to Clock Tower, though, the story follows a... 
young lady called Jennifer Simpson. Um, she is one of se- uh, several, I believe, several orphans who are adopted and they move together to this big house in the middle of nowhere and they are terrorised by an assailant known as Scissorman. Mm, I don't sound that. No, I don't. Scissorman chases Jennifer around this mansion incessantly like he's unstoppable. Mm. You can't kill him. You can't even attack him. There are no weapons for you to attack him. You can use traps against him, but your primary weapon is the ability to hide. Right. So you are powerless. As is the case in a lot of survival horror games, you're drastically overpowered by the thing that's pursuing you. You really have to work hard to avoid and evade as opposed to confront. And what is the game like visually? Is it 2D platformer? Is it some gesture at 3D? I'm thinking it went 95 towards the end of the SNES's or Super Famicom as the case is, towards the end of its lifespan. It is 2D, primarily moving sort of side-scrolly style. The game was actually, though, designed in a 3D space. So when you visualise the house, it's not just all moving left to right, a la the Casper game on PlayStation 1 or whatever, or Super Mario for people that are normal and didn't play I, Casper. I was going to say, out of all the games you could have referenced then, that, was, that wasn't what <laughs> I, I was I know expecting. why that is. It's, it's because we're talking about mansions and, and ghosts or whatever. Mansions and horror and right. the, Casper, the Casper game intro. So, a diversion. The Casper game. Did you ever play the Casper game no. on PlayStation 1? Well, it's there was a version on the SNES as well and I think the Mega Drive they were the same game so it was one of those transition games and it actually looked really nice and played pretty well you would move around this it was sort of Luigi's Mansion style you would move around as Casper this mansion that was very vertically designed and you would try I think you would try and capture ghosts and and evade your uncles your three uncles and the graphics were really well done so they you actually it actually looked like Casper and there was a a semi-photorealistic version of the girl who I can't remember the name of it's uh, Christina Ricci isn't her in the yes it is but I meant the actual character's name as opposed to the actress I remember going to see the film when it came out in, was it 95, I think? Mm. And I watched it relatively recently with my daughter and Dan Aykroyd appears in it at the start as Ray from Ghostbusters, which I'd completely really? forgotten about. I didn't realise that at all. Yeah, no. he, he, he turns up and apparently it's canon within, because I, I looked into it because I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Uh, that he turns up and um, oh, he goes in the mansion at the start where they're trying to rid it of the ghosts and then he comes out mm. and he says one of the lines from the film, um, I can't even admit, I ain't afraid of that ghost. It's something like that, some sort of uh, right. de- derivation of it. But yeah, it's canon within the Ghostbusters that that uh, within that in 1995, wherever the, the film take that past the film takes place, which is X number of years after the events of Ghostbusters two, that that is that character of Ray as he right. is at that point. So there you go. That's a pretty cool little tip. But I'm glad that we took this diversion. Yeah, that house is built very vertically up and yes. down and is very 2D. Whereas this house has a 3D aspect. So when they were designing it, they visualized it as a 3D space, and you were moving backwards and forwards in the house and also side uh, left and right and up and down actually the way that that plays out is that there are a series of of 2d tableau type situations so the comparison that could be made is the way that a lot of uh, adventure games are presented you sort of move through stages or or set settings or set pieces a static area yes and they're they're connected by these portals that are doors that's not the only commonality that has with adventure games either so the use the interface that you use to control the game is primarily a cursor so you move the cursor around which i wasn't aware of when we were talking about playing this yeah i thought so too and you can pick items up to use later as well so i don't know if there's any comb- combining items or anything, I don't think there would be because this is going to be slightly more urgent gameplay, I think, than an adventure game. But those three things together, I think, are going to make it more familiar than we yeah. were possibly expecting it to feel. Actually, it reminds me of the end of uh, Monkey Island 2, where you get stuck in that uh, loop in the with a truck who's chasing you in the tunnels and he will come into a room and if he comes into the room and you're not equipped with the things to kill him you will die and you start again in the middle of the tunnels and he'll pursue you so there may be some similarity to that sequence in in that game because of this scissorman pursuit situation was there a mouse peripheral for the snares there was yeah i'm thinking how this game would have played without that i'm trying to think of a a clever way to say what i need to say because actually that is a pertinent point to have raised the mouse peripheral is not compatible with this game oh they couldn't program it i I don't know what the i don't know the ins and outs of it but they could 
couldn't they were working with very 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 tight budget in fact a very small team I don't know if it was time or technical skills or technical limitations but they could not program the game to work with the mouse peripheral that comes with Mario Paint that is interesting because I would have assumed that every game would have had to be compatible with every peripheral in order to have passed certification or is this back in the early days of you know in the mid 90s when that wasn't so much of a thing if you took that approach we were just joking about the steel battalion peripheral yeah uh if if every game i i don't think that it's quite as clear-cut as that even with sort of xbox and playstation you don't necessarily have to have i would be surprised if anybody had to program their game taking into account the steel battalion Mm. uh, controller for example and in snes terms if you had to program your game take into account the super scope for instance yeah i guess so then you or, or a light gun my point is that if this again is seems custom made to be used with the mouse then that seems surprising and i guess yeah. it's like you've said just some limitation whether it is that the team the technical know-how of the team the time frame they're working with there's loads of things it could be which we could hypothesize about for ages we, we just don't know i just think it's surprising it is surprising and noteworthy which is why it has been noted there you go you can pick up items i said didn't i uh, yeah. those items items are in different places with each playthrough which i think is a pretty cool little twist so every time you play through it you will not necessarily find the same things in the same places i guess that will kibosh speedrunners as well well not necessarily because they often have some insight into how the game is programmed and therefore Mm. they would know based on certain little clues potentially that such and such thing is going to spawn in this place on this particular run or after a certain amount of resets then this thing will appear here or whatever pertinent to that too that is important to some extent because you will find yourself replaying this game as there are eight possible endings is that because of the sister did you sell seven sisters or did i just make that up i didn't say there were seven sisters okay, I made that up then. you always play as jennifer i think it depends again i haven't been able to find too many details on what the endings are but they i think it depends on the choices that you make and the way that you play the game and the things right. that you achieve before before reaching the end so similar to a lot of other way like multiple ending games yeah i'm just trying to think of this coming out 1995 i'm just trying to think of any other games that i was aware of around that time that did have different endings depending on what uh, chrono trigger did. did it right that okay. would have come i think it was I th- was chrono trigger 96 it was certainly the end of yeah, the snow's nice. life uh, that had multiple endings depending on who you had interacted with or or encountered right uh, beca- I don't know, we'll we'll come to Chrono Trigger at some point in the podcast, but uh, Chrono Trigger has a time travel element to it, and you can actually, similar to the way that Breath of the Wild goes, here's four hours of fairly linear gameplay, and then, and then says, here you go, you can kill the boss if you like, or you can go and explore. Chrono Trigger has a sequence at the beginning, and then at a certain point, a cataclysm occurs, and the boss, the end game boss, appears on the map, and you can go to that end game boss and take him on at any time right. from that point. So you can go and do however many side bits that you like, or how however much more of the main game that you like and at any point make a beeline for the main baddie and that will change the change the ending depending on when you do that Mm. so that's at least one that i'm aware of i'm Mm. sure there will have been more yeah i've said about weapons no weapons just traps and and running away and hiding you can get caught by scissorman and escape by pressing by bashing a button i don't know which button that is we'll find out i'm sure you will if you are being pursued by scissorman and you encounter him the game is thrown into what's called panic mode depending on jennifer's level of health at that point you when you're running away may may fall or trip or stumble which will then allow scissorman to catch you up or you may even slow down if you are particularly low in health altogether it also has a stamina system I, I hesitated there because I nearly said bar, stamina bar. But actually, the stamina system is represented by a portrait of Jennifer, which is in the bottom left-hand corner. And as you deplete your stamina, she her portrait will change to, to represent that. So the thing that reminded me, that the concept reminded me of Tales Adventure. You know how when his stamina depleted he had that he had oh, like three yeah. phases didn't he i was thinking of doom because the, the little picture of the guy at the bottom wasn't there yeah so that's health wasn't it um mm. when his health was depleting his 
picture changed as well. Yeah, there, there's that one as well. Uh, it was Tales of Adventure, strangely, that came to my mind. I don't know why. I think in terms of how the game works, that's as much you need to know. I have got controls for us. I've got a list of con- the controls, but no one else needs to know that. Last few bits, game was actually inspired. So Hifumi Kono was actually a big fan of Dario Argento, who made Suspiria. You know Suspiria, surely. No. It was remade recently by Amazon. Well, anyway, he made Suspiria, he made Tanabray, but he also made a film called Phenomena. But his whole oeuvre, his whole shtick was used as inspiration for this game, with particular emphasis on the film Phenomena, which had Jennifer Connelly in, uh, if you're interested. Yeah, I mean, it's a good joke, but I'm just going to power through. (laughs) I haven't actually seen Phenomena. I don't know. It doesn't sound like you have either. No. So we're going into this completely blind. It it apparently cleaves quite closely to what happens in Phenomena, but I don't know what that is. So there you go. And the (laughs) last thing before we kick off with the game, the character graphics, the the actual characters, they were digitized from real photographs of real people. That's cool. So I'm kind of expecting something along the lines of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. The way that they were captured and represented and animated when you said about this being 2d that reassured me that scissor man wouldn't be too scary so oh yeah it's 2d on the stairs it'd be fine now i'm a bit more scared because it's digitized from real people yeah and scissor man's got to be a real person surely yeah i don't think the deaths are real so we can take solace in that but it doesn't really matter for me because my heart will start racing as soon as as soon as we turn it on i imagine yeah. I know. I'm feeling the tension already. I don't yeah. really want to wrap up. We're going to have to, though, aren't we? Because we we'll, we'll be to. here all night. Yeah. Okay, let's go. There's far less shit on my side of the screen than I was expecting. For once. Uh, with this, Chris, I don't know. Yes, for for once. I don't think you've had the same experience, though, have you? What I mean when I say that is that I it didn't terrify me nearly as much as I thought it was going to. And it absolutely scared the living bejesus out of me. It's really got under my skin, that game has. Great. I'm so glad to hear it. It's quite a strange thing, this shift of dynamic, because this is the total opposite way around that it was for Resident Evil. And the total opposite way around to what we expected was going to happen yeah, as well. Absolutely. The game. So, why did it terrify you so much? Oh, just everything. We've played this game for a lot longer than we usually do as well. And my heart rate has been constantly higher than usual during it. I just felt on edge the whole time. The game is very effective at creating a sense of suspense and dread. And it's. It sustained that throughout my playthrough, and it's that well, that is the major thing I didn't like was the fact that I was that heightened awareness and tension. Mm. You say about your heart rate. I've actually got little heart rate tracker on my on my wrist, and I was right. checking every so often throughout play, and it was my my heart rate was shifting from about seventy five to ninety five at various points, depending on what was happening. Wow. So I could actually see it in real time changing because you are right. Everything in this game is underpinned by a genuine sense of dread. There were moments where I was really quite worried about what was going to happen next. And one of the reasons that that is the case is because every single room that you open seems to have, actually does have the potential to hold a brand new surprise, Mm. which is amazing. Like, I just can't believe how much there was to explore and and to see even in this game the opening doors actually reminded me a lot of resident evil and i'm mm. i suspect the resident evil got some cues from this because it was that you're opening the door going in and it was what is going to be on the other side of this which is exactly what we have with resident evil yeah that sense of trepidation but this does it better because you might enter a room at one point and explore it and it's fine to a certain extent and then you might come back to it later on and then something has changed within the room which i loved yeah an example being a bathroom where i went into it at one point and it was okay it was a fairly creepy bathroom a bit similar to psycho which is we'll quite relevant to, to yeah. all the conversations we had i went back into it a bit later on suddenly the curtain shower curtain was closed and then the room was full of steam and i was there were these occasional flashes of light mm. and i did not like that at all the, the, the atmosphere 
but I liked that the room was different, so it showed that something was going on here at this point. The second time you entered that bathroom, just by coincidence, I'd entered it at almost the exact same time, and we timed our opening of the curtains to coincide. It, that I mean, that was cool anyway. You opened the curtains, and there was someone's body roped up and hanging into a bath full of water, out of which arose the ghoul of the game, the scissor, scissor man, who is this small character carrying a very large pair of scissors who chases you, mm. And if he catches you, you can wrestle him and sometimes you can wrestle him to the ground and get away. But if he don't get away, he invariably stabs you through the head with his giant pair of scissors. Chris, you saw him do something extra. I didn't quite see him do that, but you said you saw him do a little dance of glee. Yeah, well, I've delved into the lore behind Clock Tower. It turns out that, spoiler alert, the main characters or the main baddies, I suppose, it's their son that's been inhabited by a demon. So it's like a 10 or 11 year old boy. But at one point when, well, basically I I let him kill me because I just wanted the game to end for me. I was fed up of how scared I was, essentially. He killed me and they did this little dance over my body where he's jumping from one foot to the other, like, like a sort of thing a really young child would do and that was really sinister that he was doing that after killing me with his pair of scissors as well it was just it was the perfect end to the atmosphere the game had created just to end on that note yeah the atmosphere in terms of atmosphere there it does a few a number of things to build the atmosphere one of them is these changing environments that i i didn't know was, that was going to happen for a start so when we were moving from one room into another room and then back into that room and, and something changed like with that bathroom situation that was a complete surprise to me but the other system that we were aware of was the fact that the items are all in different places depending on the playthrough so your playthrough had items in different places to mine you were finding keys mm. in boxes where mine were empty that spread out to experiences and actions as well so we we both went almost again the same time into a bedroom and we both checked the mirror in the bedroom your jennifer just sort of fluffed her hair up and and sharpened herself up from my jennifer she was grabbed around the neck by a a mysterious phantom hand that stretched out of the mirror and choked to death (laughs) i genuinely was uh, i i was i was terrified by that it looked it took me by surprise to such an extent that i jumped back away from the screen the playthroughs became very divergent as Mm. well in a kitchen area there was some so that was brilliant uh, drink during my playthrough i realized i could have a drink from these bottles and it then restored jennifer's stamina vigor uh, whatever it was called in the game so when ashley was in there i said to him oh have try some of that drink that'll get your health Figure stamina, whatever. I went for it with relish. So you did, and it was poison. And then his Jennifer then tumbled over, and then woke up in a prison to then have this sequence triggered that he was part of, which I got to in the end in a very different way. Which is very clever. So clever, yeah. Again, it was one of the tropes of, of horror that was. So you drink a thing and it's drugged or, or poisoned or whatever. You wake up in a, a room and maybe you've lost a kidney and you're in an ice bath or something. My Jennifer woke up in this prison cell and there was a mysterious man in the prison cell with me. He looked very haggard. When I spoke to him, he was a bit delirious. He asked me for food. I had... By chance, I had picked up a ham while I was in the kitchen before I drank that drink. Mm. But before I got the chance to offer him the ham, he decided that he was going to eat me and he chewed my face off and I died. But this brings me to one of the uh, another thing that I really enjoyed about the game or another thing that I appreciated about the game because it has a continue system and it therefore must have some kind of autosave system, which is quite forward thinking for a game in 1995 i believe because i didn't have to save at any point i don't know about you and when i did when i died when i game overed it took you back to the main menu you chose continue and it put you back basically exactly before the point that you died so i got put back in the cell with this man instead of talking to him and getting my face chewed off i gave him the ham before i even said a word to him because i had foreknowledge which then triggered my friend who was a, a character i hadn't seen before my friend one of the authors coming and rescuing me which then set off a whole another chain of events which i won't i won't go into because it would be a bit boring possibly to hear me relay the whole thing but yeah the the save system is immaculate the save system seems to just work and is there it doesn't explain itself to you it doesn't say oh when such and such a thing 
is flashing up on the screen, you're saving. Yeah. It's just saving in the background. And that, and it's a little safety net that makes the game so accessible and absolutely minimizes to the point where it's not really there, minimizes the punishment of, of death. Mm. So you're just enjoying the experience of, of walking around and exploring this mm. terrifying mansion. Enjoying, maybe too strong. I think there is a lot to enjoy, uh, genuinely. So to, to no. come back... you. you Go on. Yeah, you're right. I'll pick up on that point. I did enjoy the game. I think it was very well constructed, mm. but it's just... It's, it's too it's terrifying too scary. It's too scary for me, essentially. One thing you just said a minute ago, the, the horror thing, and that is something I think is done extremely well, but I also found scary, was the amount of horror tropes that were in well, there. Well, that's exactly what I was going to um, come around for, to. That's one of the... That is the reason that I yeah. was enjoying it so much, because uh, as we've suggested, every room that you enter had a different motif in there uh, that mm. related to a different trope in, in horror, uh, the horror genre. So some of the highlights for me was walking into a room and finding a bunch of faceless mannequins all dressed in a sort of restoration style clothing with big wigs on. And as I walked through the room, one of them started to teeter and totter. Um, I checked a couple and they fell over and their heads fell off and things. Then there was the butcher's block where I went in and there were dead crow bodies hanging from the from the shell and one single crow that was still alive in a cage which i freed and it flew away and and jennifer said something like i really hope that i get out of here too which was quite emotive and also one of the crow's bodies having a key inside it which was also pretty damn sinister but a blood curdling screams just coming from all over the place i had one from the main hall i had one from outside i had a couple more that i can't even remember where they were coming from and that damn phone which i didn't actually find oh, the the phone i thought was really good very effective i, I managed to eventually find so you're exploring i think the one at one that doesn't matter which one and you can hear this phone ring in the distance and eventually i found a key to enable me to open the door and find where the phone is went to have a look at it and jennifer said oh the cord's been cut because i was thinking oh I, I, can i call for help or whatever she said oh the cord's been cut and as soon as she said that the phone then rang again that scared me so much <laughs> it's just packed full of them isn't it it's packed full of these references i was enjoying all of that it, it, the exploration we we played it for a lot longer than we have played things mm. uh, recently because even games that we've enjoyed we've sort of had not had a fill but we've got enough out of it to understand what we're going to be talking about but this one i really just wanted to plow through and and keep finding new things to scare me or to appreciate and that's what i was enjoying i just didn't want to stop i had plumbed the depths of this west wing i'd found all sorts of different rooms in there and i think i'd i I knew my way quite well around there but then there were whole other areas of the house that i hadn't been able to even unlock doors so i was quite looking forward and spoiler i am quite looking forward to going back into the mansion and having a look around it's an absolute blast this game it reminds me and this is where a lot of the fun was coming from for me the variation in those all of those different tropes uh, was sort of bringing me back to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and okay. all the variation in the way that Freddy Krueger dispatches his various victims it, as that series goes on the deaths get more and more uh, zany I guess and uh, are you familiar with Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street the series I've seen the first one a long time ago but no well, there's, uh, I think it's number three is um, Dream Warriors. And Dream Warriors I'm, is my favourite of, of all of them. I can remember the Simpsons parody of uh, Nightmare on the Street. That was pretty good. I don't remember that. You can tell me af- after I tell you a couple of these deaths. My favourite death of all time. Well, my favourite several deaths all occur in Dream Warriors. The first one is where he, Freddy Krueger strips the tendons out of uh, one of the one of his victims arms and then uses his tendons to puppet him out of a window oh, he sort God. of he, he uses him he, them as puppet strings and walks him out of a, a window 10 stories up or whatever and then another one has a girl who wants to be an actress she's an aspiring actress and she's watching television in a room she falls asleep which is always the mistake you make in Nightmare on Elm Street wakes up in her dream goes over to the television which is acting up and then Freddy Krueger's head sprouts out of the top of the television his arms come out the side and he goes uh, you always wanted to be in television and pulls her head into the TV and like smashes her head through the television screen. Yeah, so that sort of over the top 
horror i i feel was uh, was being referenced here nightmare on elm street's probably quite a good touchstone as well for the the fact you've got this monster scissor man chasing mm. you when he does appear and chases you the the horror aspect ramps up plot the music yep. is so effective when he's chasing you which i suspect like i said i've only seen the first one a long time ago i suspect it's quite similar to the atmosphere created in those films yeah there's um it, not just nightmare on elm street the music actually when scissor man's chasing you the music reminds me more of halloween and the music from that. Yeah, we, we said about ha- it having like an 80s guitar riff in it, yeah. which I guess would be quite similar to Halloween too. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Hall- I mean Halloween as well. Not yes, Halloween I know what you mean. Film, uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure Halloween was uh, the 70s. I can't remember exactly when it was made, So, oh, okay, but, but it, it's the same thing. The, the music in that is so effective and has similarities between that and this the other touchstone may well be psycho we we talked about psycho we you mentioned it in this half we talked about it off mic as well for various reasons so there was a room like a taxidermy room that i went into um i smashed a glass that had had some kind of flesh in it and when it smashed onto the floor this jar it smash cutted into a close an ultra close-up of um this broken jar with the flesh just pulsating on the floor and as it did so it sort of went which is sort of a call a call back i think to psycho but you've also got this idea as you've outlined there's this situation i don't know if you have outlined actually do you want to tell people a bit more about the dynamic between the scissor man and his family the psycho reference was more that bathroom i outlined early earlier on but uh, the, the the plot of the game it turns out ultimately I, I don't know which point i don't know at what point in the game it's revealed or whether it's something that's hinted at or i don't know but it's from reading on the clock tower wiki page that i discovered you find out the plot of the game is that the couple who own the house are luring young children to the house in order to the scissor man who is this demon that has um taken over their 10 year old boy in order for scissor man to kill these children so again like psycho it's these idea of people being lured to this place out in the middle of nowhere in order to be dispatched precisely yeah and but there's also you, you said about there's this situation whereby the person luring them in is a, is the mother of of scissor man which yeah, is course, a spoiler yeah. i apologize if you've come into this expecting no spoilers and i've done my usual trick of saying it and then saying it's a spoiler i apologize for that i, I oh. can't help myself i thought you were apologizing for, for spoiling psycho that was well yeah say, there's think, there's a situation okay there as that. well isn't there but i think we might be past things i don't know uh, people experience things at different times don't they there's a mother-son relationship here and the mother-son relationship is a corrupt one whereby they both one facilitates murders for the other there's also an element of luring victims in in order to kill them off uh, which it shares mm-hmm. with psycho as well so there's there's quite a few touchstones it, it, the inspiration was dario argento but actually i think that there were quite a few more things in mind as they were as they were developing this game i can't believe i don't know the exact numbers in terms of team size and in terms of budget but they are purported to be very small both of them and i can't believe that they've created something that's just so polished and so brilliant like it really is phenomenal i also can't believe that they went from this to av king <laughs> on that note actually about the actual the the technical side of it the game itself looks really good the art style is stunning the way they've done these with pixels you think about the the console this was coming out on the snes in 1995 but it just looks so good even playing it today very impressive really really impressive all the systems come together to create this amazing variety such that i can genuinely see me oh we should say we both found one of the endings as well so we've actually we finished the game within the first 20 or 30 minutes i think we've we found one of the eight endings and i i wasn't sated by it i genuinely would like to wade back in and find the other endings and experience all, all of what this has to give i'll tell you something else that the systems achieve and again it's something that we've discussed off mic but you said about that drink and how you experienced one thing it you drank it it helped you i went in you told me oh this helps you and i drank it and it did not help me it completely hindered me yeah. well i can i can only imagine people in 1995 young japanese school well not even young ones anyone playing this game who had friends also playing this game who were experiencing it separately and then coming together and discussing it as as is often the case with games you know you, you say oh have you done this or have you uh, oh i'm stuck mm. here C- what might i do maybe try this and so on like there's this this group discussion that goes on around games that is to me it takes me back to the playground that is completely played upon with this game this game 
is undermining that whole relationship between you and your friends and how you collaborate on games. It's taking that and it's subverting it because it knows for well. Mm. Little Johnny might go down to the playground and go, oh yeah, drink the drink like you did for me. And then I go drink the drink and it knocks me out. It's brilliant. That's mm. such a good, such a good th- idea. We talked about that back in our Pokemon Red episode really early on in, in the whole series of the podcast. And I can't think off the top of my head of any games that I know of certainly that, that do no. that where it is different for each person. Mm. It, I'm sure that, I'm sure there are games, but I just can't think of any. We had things that were common to each of our playthroughs, but there was enough there was enough divergence that it felt like we were at times playing through a different version of the game. Like they programmed it so that it it just feels like a different version of the same thing in a good way. One last thing before we wrap up then that we both also comment on being really positive was the control system. I don't really want to harp on too much about the control system because I think it's going to be quite boring for people to be honest, but just it's very well constructed and it enables you to control Jennifer really effectively using the SNES controller. Yeah. So this is, I, I genuinely think again, that's another innovation that, that in 1995 to take something that is a burgeoning genre, but a genre that has only just been birthed in, in some ways and move it to the console because Alone in the Dark was PC at the time. It mo- I know it moved on to consoles, but to move this genre onto consoles to implement a control system that disappears, usually you start up a game and the controls learning the controls is part of gaming you have to figure out oh what do these buttons do definitely it's a barrier and the sooner you can get rid of that barrier you sooner you can melt that barrier away the sooner your players get to grips with the controls the better this game they were so intuitive that that barrier just disappeared within the first few minutes and i I was just moving things around, interacting mm. with things intuitively. It was just one of the best control schemes, one of the best implementations of controls that I have experienced on the SNES, bar none. For it to be a point-and-click game that worked so well without a mouse, one thing I think was very impressive, I'd never seen done a point-and-click game, which I think was so simple, was if you move the con- the controller, the cursor, over to the right-hand side of the screen, just click once, Jennifer would just keep moving that direction until you tell her to stop. Think back to Monkey Island Brokers or Discord, whatever when you're getting the character to move you just constantly have to click to make them go across the screen until you need to get them to stop whereas this just one click keeps going so simple but so good yeah that i think is the game really it's well i i was gonna say it's so simple but so good but it's not simple at all is it there's just so many nooks and crannies so many little things to get to grips with to get so it's it's a meaty experience I looked this up on um, How Long to like Beat. The, like the ham in the prison. I looked this up on How Long to Beat and it said completionist, uh, which is the absolute longest per- uh, amount of time that it could take. It was four and a half hours, but we've been playing for a while and uh, we both experienced one ending. We've both got a lot of the house to do. I can only imagine that it was it's going to take us God knows how long, but definitely more than four and a half hours. You say us, I am not going to touch this game at all. I, I think it's very good. But it is far too scary for me, whereas I know you're champion a bit to, to carry on with it, which is great. I won't be doing it tonight, but I'm definitely going to gonna go back to the game. Well, let me know what the endings you get. I will do, yeah. Oh, we should probably Obviously say about the ending. So we got the we got an ending where we both we escaped in the car, but that I mean even that was an interesting uh, interestingly implemented because you get in, you find a key in a barn behind the car, you use the key on the car. Then Jennifer says, oh, yeah, but what about everybody else? I've got to rescue everybody else. She gets out of the car. I insisted on using the key again on the car. She gets back in the car and she says to herself, what should I do? And gets back out of the car. (laughs) And then again, I pressed on the car again because I was adamant that she was going to leave, that we were going to get out. And she gets back in the car and she drives it through the barn door, smashes through the barn door. That is then followed by credits and then a little cutscene whereby you see in the rearview mirror she's driving full pallet out of the out of this mansion's grounds through through these woods. You see these scissors rise up out of the back of the uh, out of the back seat of the car. So yeah, tropes galore, but in a good it was way. Neil Buchanan all along. Oh gosh, way to undermine the horror. <laughs> Sorry. Obviously, we are both very positive about the game. You absolutely love it. I think it's good, but I'm not going to play it again because of how much it scared mm. me. What were the reviews like at the time? They were... And and how has it been 
viewed how has history been kind to it mm. yeah um well i'm certainly being kind to it i think that i can't think of anything that i found o- onerous or convoluted or bad to be honest i really can't think of anything negative to say about it the reviews at the time were mixed to positive so uh for mitsu gave it 31 out of 40 which is pretty good uh, across okay. their four yeah. reviewers to to get a 31 not too bad at all and generally that was the way it was going so sort of high-ish scores at the same time it was hit a little bit for a beatles just landed on my desk right in front of me a really big crunch oh don't he's just flown in look do you see him that's that reminds me of the bit in the game where i opened a freezer a load of beatles came out yeah so that's quite weird in itself Uh, yeah that's happened yeah it really is. It's a bit freaky, isn't it? I might have to put some lights on. What was I saying? Oh yeah, people people knocked it a little bit for some of its for some of its puzzles. Said they were convoluted or or otherwise simple. So both ends of the spectrum. Some some of it too hard, some of it too easy, uh, and that's probably as notable as the reviews got. Really, that that was really the only major issue that people have with it from my quick look into the clock tower wikia there's i think there's there was a i think there were a couple of sequels but nothing really beyond that it doesn't seem to have had particular longevity yeah pifumi kono actually helmed the second one uh, which came out on the playstation one as well and had an even more positive reception i believe than than this one the sequel is is a better known game actually than the super famicom version presumably because it released right. across the world as opposed to only releasing in japan we've played a and i guess as well this game coming out towards the end of the snazzy's life would probably have been a bit of a you know would have done it a disservice too. to some extent yeah i've never really understood this because there's so many at that point there's so many systems relative to a to a console's lifespan there's so many systems in the wild i just don't understand why this there's this huge drop-off in sales for so many mm. good games chrono trigger was the same chrono trigger we we talked about in the second half in the first half with in terms of endings and whatnot it, it was also well received very very well received Crit, critical acclaim out the wazoo and yet didn't really sell uh, in the numbers that it should have skyward sword which we talked about last week a very very good game at the end of a console's life that had a hundred million consoles in in homes and it sold less than 10 million copies it's just like i don't know what happens i don't know why people's interest wanes in the way it does it's a pattern that you see time and time again throughout console gaming history and i i'd like to see this game released this is this is another thing so this game isn't widely available it's not easy to get hold of um right now it did come out on the wii and wii u uh the virtual consoles there but i think again only in japan so at the moment we don't have an official release outside of japan we do have fan translations which are are good they do they do a decent job of of the translation process i'm watching this beetle out of the corner of my eye he's having a real good look at at the writing on my notepad i don't know what he's trying to (laughs) what he's trying to grasp or gather sorry it was a hint maybe Yeah, I'd like to see this game released, like given a proper release. It would be lovely. It, some kind of collection with the other Clock Tower games, I think, is in order. We'll have to start talking to Nude Maker, see if they can absolutely pry themselves away from the the breasts and the penises, <laughs> etc. And on that note, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed us, please remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, review. Come and join us on all our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We will see you again next week for episode 71. Back to the usual of one of us bringing the game for the other to play from their childhoods. And we'll see you then. Thank you very much for listening again and goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.